You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you all to go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Um, it'll take at least two weeks to cover this passage, uh, so this will be part one. Again, praise team, I do thank you. I, I appreciate every morning y'all being so faithful to worship. We don't pay this crew, just so y'all know. Uh, Hunter is supported by the church, but he's the only one, one up here supported. But they come in and they practice and prepare, and you're the recipient of that, and I'm grateful. I want to tell y'all something. I don't think that Vicki and I had a clue what we were doing when we had our first baby. We met in January of 92. We married in uh, 94 and engaged and married. And then that was August of 94. And by that next February, she was pregnant. And uh, man, we just thought this is gonna be a piece of cake. And so uh, May 18th, I believe, of that year, uh, she started having complications with the pregnancy. And so it ended up, we, we were living in New Albany, Mississippi at the time. I was the youth pastor at First Baptist there. And so we drove in, went to Baptist East to check on her complications, and it resulted in a miscarriage. She had to have the DNC. And it, ironically, I don't think, uh, and I'm not a crier. I, I don't cry much. Um, I mean, I do a little more now, <laughs> especially those special needs commercials. Those really get to me, uh, you know, but so I'm like, every time Vicky's like, you got to see this. I'm like, get it away. I don't know. Get it away from me. And, uh, but uh, I was sitting at the memory that I have of that night was I was sitting in a, a chair at Baptist East Hospital and I was, I was weeping. I mean, I was sobbing. I was blubbering, crying. Uh, and it was at that moment that I think I realized just how much I wanted to be a father. It's when I'd lost, you know, our first child. And of course, God uh, blessed us and Vicki was pregnant, uh, I believe not too long later, again with the son that would be Elijah and our oldest who gave, made us grandparents this year. And uh, he was, uh, you know, that, not, that day, she, she wanted to have natural childbirth, no drugs, no, no meds, I know she's crazy. And, uh, and, uh, but she wanted to do the natural way. So she was, she was in there and, you know, she was having these minor contractions and my dad had just bought me one of those new video cameras, you know, that had the little side thing. This was, was the nineties. All right. And so it had a little, so I'd set that thing up in the room and had a little remote and I'd recorded a couple of the contractions. It was all G rated. All right. I know it was stupid, but it's still. So then it got intense. I mean, she started pushing. So, I mean, I'd go up there. You know, we've taken those classes. Those classes teach you everything. Uh, everything you need to know. And, uh, you know, the important stuff, right? Helping for husbands to be able to provide needs that we can't. Uh, and so... <laughs> And so I, I got up beside her and, and her little T-Rex arms, you know, she's, she's fairly petite, she's got short arms. So I'm up there and I've got tennis shoes on and she's pushing. And I'm telling y'all something, a woman in labor is a scary thing. <laughs> she pulled me across that floor. I mean, you know, every time she pushed, I was like, oh my, she's Hulk, she's turning green. My redheaded wife's turning green. Well, listen, I, I, she looked like at one point she was about to pass out. 
I mean, I, I think I was about to pass out too. And so I was like, hey, babe. And they had told us in that, that little video or class or whatever we did, they told us, you know, look, you need to find a focal point in the room. You focus on that. If it's the clock or a picture on the wall, you focus on that focal point. So Vicky, because she looked like she was about to pass out, I was like, babe, babe, remember your focal point. <laughs> Probably bad timing. <laughs> she jerked me down to her and said in the voice of the spawn of Satan, you are my focal point. I stopped talking after that. Hey, listen, I'm only telling you that story to illustrate the fact that becoming a parent for both the husband and the wife is a very scary thing, right? That's why it's good sometimes to stay busy as parents because if you stop long enough to think about it, you'll scare yourself to death every time the kids go on a road trip, every time a, a baby coughs. I mean, you're, you know, you go into a panic and uh, it doesn't matter <laughs> if you're a retired CIA. It doesn't matter if you've landed 30 planes in a 40 mile an hour crosswind. All right. Doesn't matter if you're the the you know, you do the books for a billion dollar agency. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're in high stress situations every day. Maybe you're a teacher or a, a police officer and you're in high stress. It was parenting's different. It's its own thing. It's a life that we are tasked with raising. It's 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 scary. You know, pregnancy test, uh, delivery, uh, diapers, sleep deprivation. Uh, vacation, education, uh, homework, and homecomings, uh, rule followers, and rebel hearts, and car wrecks, and custody battles, right? It takes the heart of a lion to be a parent. I mean the heart of a resolved lion to get up every day. Max Licato said, the demons who run the fear factories concoct a special brew for moms and dads. I think all the moms and dads in here can say, yeah, we gotta be fearless. We've gotta be resolved to be the lion-hearted parents we need to be. And there's a passage of a parent in panic in scripture that I believe can boost our morale in our fearless parenting endeavor. So let's read this today. You can remain seated. This is a long passage, Mark 5, 21. Now I'm gonna start the story. In the middle of it, there's gonna be a mini story where it's not gonna be the focus, but it's gonna be in there. And then we're gonna get back to the story. That's what this is. It's kind of a story within a story. Mark 5, 21. These are the words of God. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and, and live. And he went with them. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, meaning around Jesus. And here's this caveat. And there was a woman who had, had a discharge of blood for 12 years, uh, who had suffered much under many physicians and uh, had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. 
She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body uh, that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say who touched me? Like everybody's touching you. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, remember how the story started. Your daughter, someone said, is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. She wasn't a spirit. She was a body or she wouldn't have had something to eat afterwards. I want to ask Wilson Vaughn to come and ask God's blessings on our message today. While he's coming up there, I want to just tell you that we're going to reboot our college uh, class. We've, we've been low on college students as of late, but some have come home and some are here now and some are graduating and Wilson's going to be heading that up. So that'll be later in later months to come. But Wilson. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here today. Uh, I'm thankful that while each of us was dead in our sin, you were just getting started with us. And so yeah. I pray that you would continue that work and that you'd bring it to completion in each of our lives, that you'd use Wentz's message today to be a part of that. And uh, yeah. I pray that you would bless the trip that our students are taking this week as well and that it would be formative in, uh, in their lives, God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Wilson. If y'all didn't know, Wilson had moved away for a minute. Now he's moved back. So we're glad to have him back. Uh, it's it's not uncommon for me to see a parent and say, you know, that has one child and say, when you going to have another, you know, or for me to say, when you when you're going to give little junior or you know, little Lily, a, a, a older sister, or older brother. Uh, and I'm often met with a series of responses. All right. Positive and negative. But the negative responses usually are one of these three. Are you crazy? All right. Uh, are you serious that I should have another kid in this messed up world? This is a lot of those responses happened during COVID <laughs> and, and all our political drama and all that, you know, like really right now. And then the third one is, I just couldn't handle that. I just couldn't handle it. Friend, I'm here to tell you that every one of those negative responses is absolutely true. I am crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and it is hard, you can't handle it, right? And this, this is a messed up world, right? So what are we gonna do? Well, 
first, and this is my first point, and probably the entire message today is because we're going to have to take at least two messages to cover this. But we have to brave the distractions with steely resolve. And the first distraction that we have to cast off, the first one that Jairus cast off and his mother, we'll mention her in just a minute, was the impossibility of the situation. Our finite minds are often our greatest distraction to believing in the impossible. We, we're re, we like to reason. We like to say that's impossible, right? We, we, read, we, we read about it. We talk about miracles in the Bible. We even teach stories in Sunday school about Abraham and Isaac and burning bushes and Jonah and the whale and all these things. But when it comes to our lives and our parenting, we don't always act on those miracles. Let me just tell you something. I had to get up this morning and change my sermon illustration because of something that happened to me this week. We're getting our house painted and, um, and you know, they need wood and stuff for some of the rotted wood that's around the house to prep it before they paint it. And so I had to run and get some wood this weekend. But my uh, wife told me we were, we were going to go to eat dinner, uh, lunch with my mother-in-law, who's, it was her birthday Saturday, Rose. Happy birthday, Mimi. And uh, I'm blessed with a good mother-in-law, praise God. And so I was going to get this errand done and then meet them at the restaurant. No problem. All right. And uh, so I run to Lowe's, I throw the wood in the back. Uh, you know, I park under that canopy. Y'all know Lowe's in Collierville. I parked under the canopy there in one of those spots. I come out of the door, I load it. But normally I would keep my wallet in my pocket. But this time I put it on the back bumper of my Yukon. So y'all already know. You, all right. So I, I, you know, I raise the truck, uh, the, uh, the I throw all the wood in and shut the door because I'm like that. I, you, you know, I actually use my vehicle to haul stuff in, unlike a lot of Collierville truck owners. All right. I haul more in my Suburban than you do in your truck. All right. So it's okay to get them a little muddy and scraped up, guys. And so I, I head home and, man, I had to drop the wood off for the painters. And I, I was so proud of myself. I'm running ahead of schedule. I'm going to get to the restaurant just in time. And as I rounded the corner, leaving my house, pride cometh before the lost wallet, I realized I didn't have my wallet because I was like, I'm, we're paying. So I was, hey, where's my wallet? And I, so I went back to the house. I tore everything, you know, looked through the house, looked where I had backed up to empty the, I mean, I looked everywhere. Looked all in my truck, you know, flipping seats and all that stuff. Nothing, wasn't there. Drove back to Lowe's, retraced my steps, looked along the road, nowhere. I got out. And then, of course, by now I've called Vicki. I'm not going to make the lunch. She's telling me, don't worry about it. Just work, try to find your wallet. I've talked to Lowe's employees. I've come out. I've, you probably saw a crazy person this weekend walking around Lowe's parking lot. I walked all the way up by Hellier Road looking for my wallet. I was serious about finding this wallet. I've got multiple cards in there, license. I don't know why I still have my Social Security card in my wallet. That's pretty stupid. And uh, so uh, anyway, so I do all this. I go through all these motions. I even went inside Lowe's. And that kind security guard went in and looked for an hour through footage. Found my truck both times when I came and lost it and when I came back looking. He said, did you come back? Oh, yeah, I came back. And so he said, I couldn't see the tailgate because there was a truck parked in front of you. I was like, oh, great. So I don't know if I drove out of the parking lot with the wallet or not. Fast forward, I'm over it. I've retraced my steps. I've looked in every curb. I'm like, curve, you know, on the way home. 
I live three and a half miles from Lowe's. So I, I, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm over it. I come home, you know, men, we got to do something to make ourselves feel better. So I cut the grass. That's something I can see. I have accomplished something today, right? You know, if I do anything else, I can say, I, I cut the grass today. So I, just as I'd finished cutting the grass and putting everything up, I'm standing in my driveway eight hours after the event. And my neighbors, Skylar and and trip a guy down the street they were riding their kids up and down the street on these battery powered uh motorcycles you know and skylar comes whipping up into my driveway and he says hey i found something for you now if you know me and skylar we're prone to get things out of the trash in collierville and repurpose them all right i'm sorry and so it's not uncommon for Skylar to bring me a Nerf gun for my son or something that he found in some kid's yard. He said it was in the trash, but he probably stomped his skin. So he, he says, about that time, as I'm thinking he's got a Nerf gun, he pulls out my wallet. Wait, what? How, what? He goes, yeah, I just found this on the street that moment. So not in a curve. Three houses down from my house, that wallet, the lightest wallet you've ever seen, it's about the size of a money clip and not a heavy money clip. I mean, it's got, right? Had $150 in cash. All the cash was there, credit card. So I know Skylar's an honest man, all right? And it's three houses down from my house. And I said, well, there you go, Lord. You gave me a story to share about the impossibilities of what God can do. Hey, listen, Jairus' daughter was so sick and so ill that in Mark 5, 35, it says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Why? Because Jesus does the impossible every day. And lion-hearted parents face the impossible quite often. Jairus' daughter was near death when he found Jesus and it seemed all hope was lost, but he was still hanging in there despite all the impossibility of the situation. Do you, will you hang in there? You parents who are struggling, <laughs> you got, you're, you're wondering for hope, don't give up. Don't give up on the Lord. He hasn't given up on you or your children. Second distraction Jairus uh, cast off was pride and position. Mark 5, 22 says, then came one of the rulers of, of the synagogue, Jairus by name. So Jairus was a synagogue ruler, which, which meant he wasn't a priest, but he was more like the administrator of the local synagogues. And synagogues were similar to our modern day local church gatherings, all right? They were local places to worship God. Uh, they weren't the same as the temple, but they were, and they actually they were around long before the temple. If you remember uh, the Babylonian captivity in the Old Testament, that was between, I think, 600 to 500 BC-ish. In that time frame, the children of Israel couldn't worship in the temple. So all these synagogues sprang up all over. They actually say synagogues date back to Moses, but the point is synagogues existed for a long time. The synagogues are mentioned, I think, 60 times in the New Testament alone. Uh, I want to put a picture up here of one of these. This is an actual synagogue that was unearthed. It's, the, it's called the, the Gamla Synagogue. Maybe up there in just a minute. It's one of the oldest in, in Israel, and it's six miles north uh, east of the, of the Sea of Galilee. It was destroyed by the Romans around 67 AD. Just hold that picture just for a moment, all right? 
So that's a cutaway, obviously, but that's that's kind of what it looked like. There was a place to speak. Um, there was a place for, for people to sit. And so I, this cut of the picture you're looking at is a real place. Um, and in the next picture, go ahead. I'm going to zoom in right there. That's where the scrolls were kept. All right. And so uh, the ESV explains that synagogues were located in most of the leading towns of Israel. Uh, and very little's left from the original first century synagogue at Nazareth. But all this archaeological evidence exists for a typical Jewish synagogue. And so synagogues were common. That's the point I'm trying to tell you. And the practice of the synagogues were common. We even have Jesus going into one of these uh, synagogues uh, in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he reads from the book of the scroll of Isaiah. Those scrolls would have been kept in that room. The, the temple priest would have gone over, gotten those scrolls out, handed them to Jesus to read to give him a scripture to read from. And here was the practice of the synagogue. There were three steps that Jesus did. It says he stood to read. Second, he says he opened the scroll and read from it, meaning the Bible, right? We didn't have Bibles in our pews. We didn't have the printing press. We didn't have Bibles on our phones. And then third, he explained what he read. And I'm only sharing that to remind us today that what we're doing right now is actually an ancient practice, right? It's it's, it's from the Lord. And Jairus was the administrator of his local synagogue. I mean, it's like he was an administrative pastor, <laughs> a mayor, and uh, uh, on the city council, all rolled into one. Because for Israelites, the local synagogue was everything. It was their life. It wasn't, it was their law. It was their life. It was their worship. Everything revolved around it. And that role for Jairus, and here's why I'm saying all this, the role itself could have distracted Jairus from paying attention, being attentive to the real life needs of his family. It could have kept him too busy and too numb uh, to care deeply. I imagine being in that position, he saw all types of stories, or he heard all types of stories, saw all types of horrific things. And so his child was just one sick child in a, in a host of other sick children in that day. A sick child wasn't uncommon for him to make such a big deal about it. Matter of fact, listen, one sick kid in that day could have made Jairus's like co-workers think negative of him, like he had some hidden sin, right? These bad things are happening to you. Remember Job and all his, quote, friends, who said, ah, oh, you must have done something really bad. Hey, friend, we've all done something really bad. <laughs> now, there are earthly consequences, let me just say, to sins. I mean, there's hell, but I'm not talking about hell. I'm talking about earthly consequences of sin, whether it's tickets or scraped knees or whatever. You know, there are consequences of that. And divine discipline and punishment on earth, sometimes, all the time, but God's people aren't the ones who determine the purpose of someone else's pain and suffering. Y'all with me? I'm not going to say, well, that's because you're a drunk. I'm, that's because you're an adulterer. That's because of this or that. I'm not saying that. That's, for, that's, that's God's zone, and you better be careful talking like that. <laughs> Over in Luke 13, verse 1, there were 
some present at that very time who told him, told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood, this is, this is like front page news, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, meaning Pilate put out a hit on these people who were sacrificing. He wanted them dead. I don't know if they spoke against him or what. All right, maybe they were helping lead a revolt against the government. I don't know. Those are all legitimate historical possibilities. But they killed them while they're sacrificing their, their lamb or their pigeons or whatever they were doing to sacrifice to the Lord. So while they, got, while they were killing the sacrifice, they themselves were killed. And so it says their blood was mingled together. So everybody thought, obviously, oh, I wonder what they did. It was so bad that while they were worshiping God, this happened. And Jesus replied, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. So it would be easy. My point is to say that Jairus's day had this idea that if bad, and we still have it today, that if something bad, if all this cloud of darkness is over somebody, then what are they doing wrong? Job's buddies thought it. Jairus's family could have thought it. And we can still think it. But the need of his daughter was more important than traditions, positions, or his own pride. He cast those things off. Just before I baptized Tom, I was trying to walk him through things. He said, don't worry about it, Pastor. Doesn't matter. I'm ready. Because it doesn't matter, right? I'm obeying the Lord. It doesn't matter. Third distraction that he cast off was legalistic tradition. So in Mark 5.21, Jairus begs Jesus to do something, and then he gets interrupted by this unclean woman, all right? And it's more than an interruption. It's a disruption of everyone's cleanness, cleanliness, right? right? A devout Jew would have never wanted to be around someone who was unclean. Verse 22 says, a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So this was all happening in the middle of Jairus' story. So this woman would have been considered ceremonially unclean, which meant any rule-following Jew wouldn't have come within 10 feet of that woman. And there's Jairus. Leviticus 15, 25 says, if a woman had a discharge of blood for many days, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. This meant ceremonially as regarding the worship and things. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. So clean, cleanness was a big deal to the religious elite. Luke 11, verse 37 says, while Jesus was speaking, the Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. And the Pharisees, uh, were astonished to see that he didn't w first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. If you're given from your heart to God in worship, to God in giving, to God in fellowship, 
then it's honoring to him. But woe, he says to you Pharisees, you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the former. And let me just pause there and say that's why I still believe a tithe, a tenth of our gross income is a starting point for giving to the Lord. People say, oh, it's, it's not true in the New Testament. Well, this is in the New Testament and Jesus commands them, you should have done this without neglecting that. And so I think tithes is a great starting place for generosity to the Lord or giving to the Lord, not out of uh, compulsion, but out of gratitude. Mark 7, verse 5, another example. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Church, let me just pause here. I, I know a lot of churches do things a lot of ways. And I don't want to condemn those other churches. You know, some churches make you have a video and different things when you're saved. You know, they make you stand up, share a testimony or something like that. I am very concerned with anything that adds to what scripture requires. Are y'all with me? I don't want this church to be, well, you got to have pews or you're not a real church. You know, you got to, paint's got to be this color, can't have a band, can have a band. Is it in Scripture? Is it in Scripture? He says you want all these things to establish your tradition. Then in John 18, 28, to kind of cap it all off, uh, the people were leading, the religious elite were literally leading Jesus to his death unjustly, with lies and deceit, but they wouldn't go into Pilate's house because they'd be defiled and they wouldn't get to eat the Passover. I mean, could you see the hypocrisy of that? Jairus didn't care about the impossibility of the situation or his own pride or his position or legalistic tradition. He wanted his child healed. And that's the kind of fearless parenting we have to have. We have to cast off all these restraints that keep us away. And by the way, Jairus' wife was present in the story. In Mark 5, verse 40, it explains that Jesus took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Lion-hearted parenting. Pride on the line, position on the line, accusation on the line. He didn't see any of those things. And that's how we got to be sometimes as parents. We have the Lord's Supper today, so I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to end here. It's going to be part one. But let me say that from the d distractions of the crowds to the commotion in Jairus' home, Jairus was on a mission of lion-hearted parenting that could not be deterred by the speed bumps of this world. And that's what we've got to do. We have to be focused on being the parent and the grandparents, the great-grandparents that we need to be, or the caregivers in some cases. Let me give you a spoiler alert. You don't have the heart of a lion. Not in every situation. Not in every circumstance. But I'll tell you what you do have. You have access to the lion of Judah. 
And he's been working since creation, caring for you, serving you. God serves you. And that's not easy believism. There's a cross for us to bear, but he's bearing it for you. He has borne it and he bears it daily for you. And he's here to help you with your parenting. Would you stand? Now we're going to have, an, uh, as our time of response, we're going to have two things happen right now. We've got uh, Lord's Supper tables uh, throughout our worship center, and the, the band's going to come and play. So the first part of our time of response is going to be taking the Lord's Supper together. Right when I, in a minute, when I read scripture and pray to you, uh, pray to God for us, uh, you're going to be dismissed to go to one of those stations and grab two of those cups. Remember, there's two cups stacked on, each, on top of each other if you're new today. So you'll need to grab both cups. The bottom one has the bread, the top one has the wine, and you can go back to your seat and then take the Lord's Supper at will. You can go to your seat and you may want to pray with your family or take the Lord's Supper alone. Um, I know sometimes my family gathers at the altar and prays, do what you need to do. And then when we, we're all finished, we'll, come, we'll have the time of invitation. And that's a time where if you don't know the Lord uh, and you want to come and, and trust Christ, you can do that. Maybe you've already trusted Christ and you just want to make that public. God says, if you confess me before men on earth, I'll confess you before our Father in heaven. So I have a promise. Everybody that calls on the name of the Lord has a promise. that they're, If they confess Christ now, he'll confess them there in heaven. And you can come and make that public. And you may just be a member, uh, a non-member. You want to be a member, someone who serves at this church. You're tired of the pew potato. You want to be involved more. And I would encourage you, pray about that. All right? We want you to be involved. Let me read this passage of scripture for us. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the, the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the blood and body uh, of the Lord. So, it says, let a person examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That means confess any known sins. Ask God to forgive you. Verse 30, that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, meaning, Lord, show us our sin, we would not be judged because God would forgive it, right? But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So if you've not confessed Christ today, I just ask that you honor the Lord's word and not participate. But if you have, then please Participate. Make sure you've confessed any known sin. We always have sin we don't know of in our hearts sometimes, but confess what you know and let your heart be right. Father God, we love you. We pray for this bread and this wine, this great juice that we're going to take today. We, we pray as it represents what you've done for us, that we would remember what it cost you so that we could have freedom from sin power to parent, power to live, power to overcome temptation, and most of all, eternal life in heaven after we die or after you return. I pray that if anybody doesn't know you, they would come to know you now, and if they do know you, that you would bless this time 
of invitation and our time of the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.